This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, it's uh, coming a new year, so we got to speak about it again. Rosh Hashanah at night, whether you're Sephardic or Ashkenazic, there are what we call simonim, things that are signs, simonim. So, we know, everybody from when you're a little teeny kid, you learn the song, Dip the apple in the honey. Let's make lots of money, right? That's how it goes when you get older. That's not the way it goes. Dip the apple in the honey, make a bracha, loud and clear. I know, I know the song. I know the song. That's when you're a kid, when you get older. It's dip the apple in the honey, let's make a lot of money. Anyway, so, right, and the, oh, some people put the celery in the raisins. I should get a raisin in my celery. Yeah, there's all kinds of things. Okay. Anyway. All right, I'm not going to be corny. So, the question is like this on a serious note. Listen carefully. So we take an apple, we make a boy of your eights, and we take this apple and we dip it in honey. And after we dip the apple in honey, we say, it should be the will before you, Hashem, Hashem, my God, and the God of my forefathers. That should give us, renew for us, Shana Tova, a good year, Umasuka, and a sweet year. Okay, so here you are, not you, I'm not talking about you, but here you have this person, and a whole year, all they do is Averis, terrible things, a whole year, nasty, answer people back, doing all kinds of sins, comes Rosh Hashanah at night, and instead of doing tshuva, saying Hashem, I'm sorry, crying, saying Tehillim, no, I'm going to go to the table, I'm going to take an apple, I'm going to dip it in honey, and I'm going to say, Hashem, because I dipped the apple in the honey, I should have a sweet good year. And my wife must stay there. What's up with that? She didn't do tshuva. She didn't say she's sorry. She didn't damn Hashem, because she dipped an apple. So what? forget about it. Why just wait till Rosh Hashanah? Every night when you go home, before you eat supper, dip an apple in honey, and say, he rots and he rots and of course, I know it's very bad today, but who cares? I dipped the apple in the honey. So I should have a sweet year. How does this work? Anyone in this room ever think, how does this work? You think by dipping an apple in honey, that's going to give you a good year? You can do whatever you want, then you dip an apple in honey, you're going to have a good year? Seems to be that it's, uh, the Rabbanon said, you should make a bracha, boy, for your eights, and you should say, he wrote something on the apple and honey. So the question is, how does that work? And the next question is, why an apple and why in honey? Why don't you dip one of the seven fruits of it's a soul. If we're going to dip something at the table, Rosh Hashanah, so it should be a fig, a date, a grape, pomegranate. Why an apple? And why honey? Dip an apple in sugar. Why honey? Honey's messy, honey's sticky. Dip an apple in sugar. If the whole reason is for the word umesuka, the whole reason that you're saying it is because I want to have a sweet year, so use sugar. So some people say, but, but honey is sweeter than sugar. I don't know about that. I don't know that honey is sugar. But okay, so let's use honey. But what is Devash? When the Torah says, Eretz Zavas Cholavu Devash, a land that flows with milk and honey, is it talking about the honeys that bees make? No. It's talking about the honey that's made from dates. So if, if it's supposed to be Devash, and the reason is brought down that we use Devash is because devash is the gematria, the numerical value of the word av harachamim, my father who has pity. 
So by using the vash, it reminds Hashem that he's our father who has pity. So if you're going to use the vash, then use the vash that's using the Torah. And the vash that's using the Torah is date honey, not bees honey. So the question is, why do we use bees honey? Why do we use honey at all? But if you're going to tell me that I have to use honey, why don't we use date honey? Okay, now the Ashkenazim, I don't know all the Sephardic men, but I know some of them. They have black eyed peas, and they say, he writes on the black eyed peas, my enemies should all get black eyes, something like that, I'm not sure exactly <laughs> what it says, I'm not making fun, but there's a bracha on black eyed peas. But the Ashkenazim, we'll talk about the Ashkenazim for a moment. Ashkenazim eat carrots. They eat sweet carrots. Why do we eat sweet carrots? Because in Yiddish, the word carrot means merin. Merin. If you talk, if you talk Yiddish, you ask for your mother for carrots, you say, please pass me the merin. Right? Now, well, you don't say, please pass me the merin. You say it in Yiddish. But merin is Yiddish. Merin means to multiply. So, we eat sweet carrots and we say yihiratsam. Listen to this yihiratsam. Should be the will of my God, the God of my forefathers. Our merits should increase. Why, you just did another mitzvah? What did you do? That's unbelievable. So forget about it. From that one, Rabbi Wallstein is going to get up in the morning. I'm not going to put on tefillin and put on tzitzes and daven and do mitzvahs. I'm going to sit down and tell my wife, Can I have a bowl of sweet carrots? She's going to make me a bowl of sweet carrots, and I'm going to sit there and say, just like the carrots mean merin, so my merits today should multiply like the carrots, like the merin. What's going on over here? The rabbi should tell us that Rosh Hashanah at night, daven a whole night, go out and do mitzvahs a whole night. Where do you have the right to eat a piece of carrot and say to Hashem, listen, you know, the side of the scale, uh, you know, where the good stuff is, is like very light. But I'm going to eat some carrots, so like, you know, throw a lot of good malachim on that side. What's going on here? Eating carrots is a schus. You go on. There's, there's dates that we eat that we say our enemies should be consumed. And of course, there's the 613 pits in the pomegranate where we say, that our schus, our credits should multiply like a pomegranate, 613 seeds. Okay, so what do I have to do mitzvahs for? Every day I'll eat a pomegranate. And I'll show you, so if you're going to tell me, oh, every day that doesn't work, surely I want to shut it when I'm going to judgment day and I'm standing in front of the judge and the judge says, so why did you do this year? Uh, I ate a pomegranate, Hashem. And I ate sweet carrots and I dipped the apple in the honey. How's that going to work? And then, of course, the head of the fish, where everyone goes, you know, the head of the fish. So, I want to have a good year. I want to have. I want to be the head of my class. I want to be the head of everything. I want to be on top of my game. Why? Because I just ate a piece of the head of a fish. Or by Swadim, I just ate a piece of the lamb, the head of the lamb. So that's why you should be. You should have a year where you're the head because you had a little piece of lamb chop. What, what's what's these simanim? You know, we go through it all these years, and we just go through it, and we don't even know what are we doing. What are we doing? What are these Yerotzons? How do they work? And it's something that's part of your Rosh Hashanah. person who doesn't do the Simonim is a fool. Because I'll say, you have to do the Simonim. It's very, very important. So how does this work? That's my shir tonight. My shir is really on the Simonim that we have on, on Rosh Hashanah night. Now, 
there's another thing you have to understand. It's not the apple or the pomegranate or the carrot or the black eyed peas or the, the there's, there's a bunch of other stuff, there's cabbage, sweet cabbage. That's not what it's about. What it's really about is the hirotsen that you say. There's a story, I said it a few years ago, there was a very, very wealthy, wealthy duke. And it was his 25th anniversary for his wife. And he wanted to buy his wife something very, very beautiful. And she loved music. She loved singing. She loved singing. And he heard that in Budapest, which was like 10 days travel from where he lived, there was a pet store. And he heard that in this pet store, there was a bird. It's called a Myra bird, M-Y-R-N-A. It's a little teeny bird about this big, but it sings amazing, amazing music. And he said, the best present I could buy for my wife is to buy her this little bird, but it's very expensive, it's $5,000. But he was a very rich man. So, he called his butler, and he told his butler, get us the wagon, we're going for a trip. He said, where are we going? We're going to Budapest, we're going to Hungary. Why are we going? I'm buying my wife a present. So this guy doesn't know anything about birds or anything. So he goes along with them for six days. They travel. And finally they come to the pet store. And the, pet, the, the duke walks into the pet store. He says, tell me, you still have that bird? And the owner says, yes, we do. We still have one. He says, how much is it? It's $5,000. Ah, for my wife, money has no meaning. Not for my wife, money has no meaning. But to buy something for my wife, money has no meaning. No meaning. He says, for sure I'll buy it for her. So he buys it. And he comes out of this pet store with this little teeny cage with this little teeny bird in it. And the, 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 the peasant who was the butler looks at this little bird and he says, wow, how much was it? And he says, it's $5,000, but it's worth every penny. Okay, fine. He comes home, he gives his wife the bird. The peasant's thinking to himself, you know what? My wife also is having, we're also having our 25th anniversary. I'm going to buy the same thing for her. So he tells the duke, he says, listen, I need to take off 10 days. I'm traveling. He goes, where are you going? It's not important. I'm traveling. He's going to surprise his wife. So he travels and he comes to the pet store and he says, you know that bird that you sold to the duke for $5,000? Can you get another one? He says, can I get another one? It's your lucky day. We got one this morning. He says, I can't believe it. My wife is going to be so happy. If the Duke, who's so smart, such a good businessman, was willing to spend $5,000, of course I'll spend the same amount of money. So, Nebuchadnezzar, this poor guy borrowed, to, to, he knew it was $5,000, he borrowed from everybody $5,000, he's a pet, it's going to take him 10 years to pay for it. Right? And he's so excited, he comes in, and he takes this little bird, and he puts it in the cage, and he gets back on the wagon, and he comes home. And his wife is sitting there, and he says, Darling, 25th anniversary, I bought you something special. And she says, what did you buy me? And he takes out this little teeny bird in a cage. And she looks at this bird and she says, what's the deal with this? He says, I don't know, but it must taste unbelievable. Because, because the Duke spent $5,000 for his wife. It must be something not normal. She says, okay, we'll cook it up. So she takes the little Myra bird and she puts it into the pot with onions and garlic and celery and carrots and they cook up this little bird. And he comes home for supper and 
don't feel so sorry for the bird. <laughs> feel sorry for this guy. Wait. So, girls are interesting, you know that? The guys are like, yeah, okay, who cares about the bird? You know, you know? Now we have to go pay back the $5,000. How's he going to do that? Everyone's sitting here, they're depressed. I'm like, they see the bird never crying, he's in the pot, you know? All right, I'm getting used to it. I'm getting used to it. After four years, I'm getting used to it. Anyway, so she cooks up this bird, and he comes home for supper, and she comes out with two little plates, and the bird is this big now, now that it's cooked, it's this big, right? And she cuts it in half, little teeny bird, she gives him half, and she takes half, and she goes, and he goes, okay, he says to her, it's for you, you know, you can really have the whole thing, well, yeah, taste it. And she takes a little piece of the bird, she puts it in her mouth, she spits it out. Ugh, I never tasted such something, it's gummy, it's sweet, it, ooh, it's disgusting. And like a feather comes flying out, you know, oh, terrible. And he goes, I can't believe it. $5,000, it can't be. He takes his piece. He puts it in his mouth. Ugh, sir, it's disgusting. He spits it out. He says to himself, I don't understand. The Duke is such a smart man. You know, maybe I got a lemon. I got a bad Myra bird. You know, they're supposed to taste a lot better. Let me go ask the Duke how his tasted. So he goes across to the castle and he comes to the Duke. He says, I have to ask you something, sir. You know, I traveled with you. You bought this bird for $5,000. And, and, and I know you're a very smart man. And I don't want to insult you, but you know, I bought the same bird. He goes, really? So, how, how, how's it doing? He goes, how's it doing? We, we cooked it, and, 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 and we try to eat it. And, and he says, what? That bird is not for eating. That bird is for singing. You ate that bird? He starts laughing. You cooked that bird, the Myra bird? The Myra bird has no meat on it. The Myra bird is made for singing. You fool. You wasted $5,000 and you killed a good bird. This is not my story. Sounds like one of mine, but it's not my story. This is a story from the Dugma Magid. So the Dug- he'll start singing in the pot. He'll start singing, yeah. Right, all the way to the bank when you have to pay the $5,000. But what happened? The Dugma Magid says that the person who eats, who dips the apple in the honey and says, ah, this tastes good. Give me another piece of apple. Give me another piece of apple. Hey, I like that pomegranate. Give me some more pomegranate. Missed the whole thing. The, the, the simonim is not eating the food, but saying the hirachsan. It's the singing that you say when you eat the food. It's not the apple and the honey. He says, a person who sits there, give me another piece of apple, let's dip some more honey, and, they, and they're only eating it because it's sweet. They're only eating it for the food itself. They missed the whole picture. The godless, the greatness of what we're eating is the hiratsan. It's not the greatness of a fish head. What's the greatness of a fish head? There's no greatness in a fish head. The greatness is the hiratsan that you say, I should be the head and not the tail. That's the whole thing. You're going to sit there and eat the fish head, right? And, you know, some of the kids in my family don't like fish heads. So when we give them the fish head, they're like, ew. I'm like, Tati, I don't want to eat a piece of his head, Right? So I have to tell them that it's not about how the fish head tastes. It's about saying that he wants something and I want to be the head this year. I want it to be a good year. It's not about how the apple or the honey tastes. It's about the he where you missed the whole picture. Now what is the picture? What is the picture? So I'd like to try to explain to you the picture. In Navi, there's a Navi Nechemia. Nechemia and Ezra HaSaifer lived at the same time. I'm not going to get into the whole history of them. But I'd like to read you the only place in the whole Torah that it talks about Rosh Hashanah, what happened on Rosh Hashanah, not the laws of Rosh Hashanah. What happened on Rosh Hashanah is in Novi, Nechemia, in Periches. 
So I'd like to read you just very short from inside what happened. And it says the following. The seventh month, which is the one that's coming right now, which is Tishrei. What happened is, the Jews had now come out of Gullus. It's the second base on Megdash. Not a lot of Jews came to Israel. There wasn't a massive amount of Jews that came to Israel, which was part of the problem. We assimilated. And Ezra Sofa came back with, with a small amount of Jews. And it's talking about the first day of the seventh month, which is Rosh Hashanah. Okay. The Jews at that point had done a lot of sinning. They were coming back now. Ezra was bringing, bringing back Klai Yisrael. And he opened up a Sefer Torah in front of Klai Yisrael. And this was on Rosh Hashanah. And Klai Yisrael began to cry. And he turned to them. And it's very interesting. He turned to them. And he said the following. Listen carefully. I want to read it from inside. Ezra blessed God Elohim HaGadol our great God and everybody answered Amen and they bowed down okay there were other people there Yeshua okay I'm not going to go through the names okay anyway he read out of the Sefer Torah now Nehemiah was with Ezra together and Ezra HaKoyen and the Levium and they said the following. Listen carefully. Hayom Rosh Hashanah today, Kaidesh Hula Hashem Olikechem. It is very holy to Hashem, our God, your God. Altis Ablu. Don't, don't lament. Don't be depressed. Don't be upset. Va'al Tipchu. Don't cry. Because Klai Yisrael was Rosh Hashanah, they were doing tshuva, they were coming back. And when they when they heard him read from the Torah, which they haven't heard in such a long time, the whole Klai Yisrael began to cry. Ezra got up and, and Nehemiah got up and said, "Don't cry, don't cry." And he said to them, "Go home, eat fatty foods and drink sweet drinks, and send presents to people who don't." Who don't have food or are not prepared. Why? Because today is a holy day to our master. And don't be depressed. And Kleisro was still depressed. So the Levium came out and they said again, Today is holy. Don't be depressed. So then, So the nation went back home and they ate and they drank. Sounds like Purim. It's Rosh Hashanah, and they're sending Shachmanas. Right? That's what happened here. And they sent presents to each other. They made a big party. Why? And then this is the, the last of the text. They understood the words. Which was told to them. What's going on here, girls? Let's think for a second what's going on here. Kleisfeld just came out of, like, like we're coming out of Golos and Mashiach, see, right? Kleisfeld, the Jewish nation, just came out of Golos, assimilation, Averis, clubs, theater, eh, everything. They're coming to Israel, they're flying, they're, 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 they're spiritual, they're into it, right? It's a big moment, Ezra and Nehemiah open up the Sefer Torah, they start reading from it, it's Rosh Hashanah, everybody's crying, everybody's getting into it, everybody's doing tshuva, stands up, Ezra and Nehemiah, no, 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 stop crying, stop crying. Stop happening. No, no, no. Party time. Everybody go home. Eat. Drink. Send Shlachmanis to everybody. 
That's Rosh Hashanah. That's Purim. What's going on over here? And this is the only time that there's a description of how Rosh Hashanah was celebrated. And the only time where there's a description of how Rosh Hashanah was celebrated, it was a big party. They were crying. They were into it. They were in the right mode. And the Navi gets up and says, no, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't get depressed. Go home. Eat fatty foods. Drink, you know, Coca-Cola. Party. And make sure that you take care of everybody else. What's going on over here? So all these questions that we're asking are going to be answered with one answer. And the answer is like this. What, what is Rosh Hashanah? What is, actually is Rosh Hashanah? What does it stand for? Okay. So, Rosh Hashanah actually is a little, a little bit of a machlekes. The world was actually created six days before Rosh Hashanah because man was created on Rosh Hashanah on the sixth day. Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of creation of the world. That's what Rosh Hashanah is. Why did Hashem create the world? Why did Hashem create the world? So we know. He created the world. Chesed. We spoke about this many times. What's the chesed? Who needs the world? What are you doing me a favor? Leave me up in Shemayim. The chesed is that in Shemayim, none of us here, when we're in Shemayim, can do a mitzvah. None of us. Shemayim, you can't do mitzvahs. There's no growth. There's no potential. Shemayim has no potential. Potential is being a human being. Because Baruch Hu saw that the greatest present he could give us is potential. What's the potential? Potential is like this. Potential is that you can take an apple, which has no potential, it's a fruit, and you can make a Bari Priya Eights on that apple, and you can turn a physical apple into a spiritual apple by making a bracha. The Gemara says that any person who eats food, any Jew, not a guy, any Jew that eats food and does not make a bracha, it's called a ganaf. You're stealing. I'm stealing. I went to the store. I paid 69 cents for a pound of apples. I paid the man. I took the apple home. I forgot to make a bracha. Right? So I forgot to make a bracha. I bit into the apple. Why am I stealing? I didn't steal from anybody. The Gemara says, you're a ganaf. Why? Because you stole from Hashem. How did I steal from Hashem? I paid for it. The answer is that the whole reason Hashem created the apple is that you should be able to make a bracha on it to take it from its physical state into its spiritual state. If you take that apple and you keep it in its physical state by not making a bracha, you're a ganaf. Because the whole reason it was created was to take it to that level. You don't take it to that level, you stole something. You don't have a right as a Jew to eat an apple and not make a bracha. You're a ganaf. A guy can eat an apple and an orange and bread they don't make brachas, even though some of them say grace, but they don't have to say grace. They don't have a chiv in this world. It's not their job to take physical and make it spiritual. That is our job. If anyone asks you, what's a Jew's, Jew's job? Everybody has a job in the world. Goyim have a job in the world. Everybody has a job in the world. Some are builders. Some are builders of roads. The Gemara says, when Mashiach comes, the Romans are going to say, we want to be saved also. We want to be Mashiach. Or we want to be with Mashiach. What do you mean? Did you learn? Did you do mitzvahs? They said, no, we built roads. We're not Jews. We're builders. We built roads. We also want to be saved. And Hashem says, did you build, who did you build roads for? And they say, we built roads for the Jews. Then how come you decimated and wiped them out and killed them and captured them? It's not true. And the Greeks came and said, they built this and they built that. And everyone said, we built it for the Jews. And each nation, HaKadosh Baruch was going to rip apart. But in the end, the Gemara says, with all their times, Hashem says, okay, I'll give you a chance. And it's the famous story. He gives them the one mitzvah of sukkah. And they build sukkahs and they go into the sukkahs and he takes the sun out and he gets very hot and they all run. 
And he says, ah, you see? You're not for real. The Jews are not running. They stay in their sukkahs. So the Gemara says over there that the Goyim have something to do in this world too. They're builders, whatever they have to do. What's the Jewish Jew's job? The Jew's job in this world is to take the physical world and make it spiritual. That is why we are here. You can go to the bathroom and take the lowest function of a human being, going to the bathroom and make it spiritual. How? By saying Ashiyatza. By walking out and making a bracha and going to the bathroom, which is the lowest function you're making going to the bathroom, spiritual. Everything. Your house. How do you make your house spiritual? Mezuzah. A maka, a porch. You have to have a fence. Everything in this world, everything that is physical, you can make spiritual, and that is our job. So listen carefully, girls. So here, Klai Yisrael is coming back from Golas. They're opening a Sefer Torah. And they're all sitting there, and they're crying. And they're all davening to Hashem. And they're all depressed, and they're all doing tshuva. And Ezra says, no! That's all spiritual. Rosh Hashanah is not spiritual, all spiritual. Rosh Hashanah is 50-50. Yom Kippur is all spiritual. Yom Kippur is the one day a year where Hashem says, you should be like a malach. Therefore, in Yom Kippur, you cannot eat, and you cannot drink, and you cannot wear shoes, and you cannot smear perfume and things on your body, because Yom Kippur is Kemalache Hashares. On Yom Kippur, your job is not to take physical and make it spiritual. Your job is to be a malach. A malach is all spiritual. And that's why in Yom Kippur, we're allowed to say, Baruch Shem Kavod, Machus Olam Vod, out loud. Because only a malach is allowed to say that out loud. So a whole year when you're a human being and your job is to take physical and make it spiritual, you're not a malach. You say Baruch Shem quietly. But when you're on Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah is not Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah is the creation of the world. The world is not a spiritual place. The world is a physical place that you're supposed to make spiritual. So if you're going to sit on Rosh Hashanah and fast, now a lot of fast on Rosh Hashanah. You're going to sit on Rosh Hashanah and fast and cry a whole day. Why did you take physical and make it spiritual? Therefore, said the Navi, no, don't stand here and cry. Go home, eat food, make brachas, bench, drink, make brachas. Go home and be physical. But make that physical into spiritual. And that, the Kleisho didn't understand what he was talking about. What are you talking about? For Shoshana. What am I saying? Go home and be happy in here. And Shlachmanais? What's Shlachmanais and Rosh Hashanah? And the answer is, Shlachmanais and Rosh Hashanah, the biggest, Ben Ola Chavero, the whole thing of Ben Ola Chavero, is to take the physical and make it spiritual. How do I make the cake that I just baked spiritual for someone else? By giving it to him. He's going to make a bracha on it. By giving matanos. By showing one person gets along with the other person. That's why Hashem created the world. In the next world, you don't have a choice. You can't walk by and say, I don't like you. You don't have a choice. In the next world, who you like and who you don't like. In this world, you have a choice. So, so he said, the biggest praise to Hashem and Rosh Hashanah is taking the physical and, and sending shlachmanos. And taking physical and giving it to somebody else. And that's why it brings down that Purim is greater than Yom Kippur. Purim, right? It says, Yom Kippurim. Yom Kippur is like Purim. Come on. Who over here got holier on, on Purim than you were on Yom Kippur? Standing in Yom Kippur, you, by Ne'ilah, you're starving. You feel like a malach. There's nothing left of you. You got a headache. Right? You're screaming, Hashem Elohim. You're totally out of your physical body. 
And the rabbis come along and say, no, 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 that's nothing. Purim is greater than Yom Kippur. What, sitting there and drinking? And having a su'uda? And shachmanos and matanos of yanim? And the answer is yes. That's greater. Being a person, being a human being, and taking the physical world and making it spiritual is greater than a malach. And that's what Rosh Hashanah is about. Now, let's back up a little bit. So now let's look at the simonim. So here we are sitting at the table, and we all want to do tshuva. Because tomorrow, today, tonight's judgment day. We want to sit by the table and say Tehillim and cry. No. Take things that grow in the, in the earth. Take things that swim in the water. Take all these different items. And take them from their physical, a pomegranate, a sweet carrot. It has nothing. What's spiritual? If you, if you went over to someone, you said, okay, tell me what's spiritual about this carrot. Right? I don't know. You might come up with something in Gematria, but it's going to be pretty hard. But on Rosh Hashanah night, we say to Hashem, even a carrot can be spiritual. Watch what a Jew can do. Yehi Ratzon. The head of a fish. Yehi Ratzon. A pomegranate. Yehi Ratzon. So the Yehi Ratzon takes the physical object that's in front of you and makes it into a spiritual object. That's what Rosh Hashanah is all about. Rosh Hashanah is about being a creator, be able to take physical things and make it. And that's why when you leave shul, it says the person has to leave shul on Rosh Hashanah b'simcha. You have to be happy. And you have to go home and you have to eat a meal. And you should have people at that meal. As we see from here, the biggest thing on Rosh Hashanah there was shlach manos. To send presents from one to the other. Who on Rosh Hashanah goes around taking food to the other person? But we see from here that that's a very important thing, Takarish Baruch Because that's a key ma'ayon. That's what keeps the world going. That's what Rosh Hashanah is. Rosh Hashanah is thinking, how can I use the physical things that I'm given, my hands and my eyes and my ears and all the different parts of my body that are physical, how can I make that into spirituality? And the Torah gives us 613 mitzvahs. You could take, you could take wool and linen and make it spiritual by not putting it together at shotness. Everything. Everything that exists. You can take silk and make something for Shabbos, look up at Shabbos Kodesh, and all of a sudden this thing that from silk became Kodesh. You can buy flowers for Shabbos. Flowers have no Kedusha. It's very nice if you buy flowers for someone, but flowers for Shabbos that you buy, is, you're making it Kodesh, you're making it holy. The rabbis used to go, people think I'm nuts. They see me shopping for Shabbos in the fruit store. The Chinese guy who owns the fruit store, he knows me already, right? He says, there's one rabbi that comes into my store, he talks to the fruit. And by the watermelon episode, he spends more time than my all the other fruit. It talks a little bit longer. The guy looks at me every Shabbos. Why? Because I learned a long time ago that if you say, L'Kavet Shabbos Kodesh, when you pick each fruit, you say L'Kavet Shabbos Kodesh, it's going to taste better. So I go around. When I have Shabbos Shabbos, I say, Apple, L'Kavet Shabbos Kodesh. Nah, L'Kavet Shabbos Kodesh. The guys, they're, they're looking at me like, you're talking to the apple? I'm like, no, it's an Indian. It says by women when you cook for Shabbos. If you say, the best ingredient is if you say, L'Kavet Shabbos Kodesh, the food that you're cooking will taste very different. And if you don't say L'Kavet Shabbos Kodesh, it's, it's, look, look at Cholent. You guys don't eat that much Cholent, but look at Cholent. Look at anything you cook for Shabbos. Try cooking that in the middle of the week. It doesn't have the same taste. Cook up a pot of Cholent on a Wednesday night. It will not taste the same as the Cholent that you have for Shabbos. It has a, a certain neshama. What's the neshama? L'Kavet Shabbos Kodesh. L'Kavet Shabbos Kodesh. You're taking a little bean and a piece of flankin and a potato, right? That have absolutely no holiness. I don't care what religion you're in. There's no holiness to a bean and a potato. And you're taking this and you're lifting it and you're making it into something called chulin. You're making it into something L'Kavet Shabbos Kodesh. And of course, Rochel smiles at us. Because you're taking something physical and you're making it spiritual. And that's what Rosh Hashanah is about. And therefore, when you sit and you dip the apple in the honey... 
not about the apple and the honey. You're saying, I'm taking an apple. Now, why an apple and why honey? Why an apple? Why not one of the Shiva Minim? Because Shlomo Melech calls a human being Steta Puach. We are the tree. We are the tree in the field. What's the field? It's called Steta Puchim, the field of apples. He calls it the field of apples. So a human being is compared to an apple. Therefore, on Rosh Hashanah, when we want to have a sweet year, you're taking the human being, which is the apple, and you're dipping him in the honey, which is the sweetness. Why bees honey? Ah, I love this thought, So, so, dvash equals avarachamim. But why bees honey? And the answer is, because a bee, actually, the bee should be the last thing that you use. A bee isn't kosher. If a bee falls into anything of your food, you gotta throw it out. A bee is a sheretz. It's a bug. It's an insect. We are not allowed to eat teeny insects that are on lettuce. If you eat a bee, you're over probably at least 12, 12 of So, why would I take something that's a derivative of a, a sheretz and put it on my table on Rosh Hashanah. In fact, it is the only thing in the whole world that isn't kosher, and the derivative of it is. In other words, pig's milk, not kosher. Anything that's excreted from an unkosher being is not kosher. Why is the bee different? Why the honey from a bee? Okay, so the scientists will tell you, it doesn't, ex- it doesn't excrete honey, it it. it it mixes it, it takes it from the pollen, whatever it is. But the truth is, it, we're, that honey is in a honeycomb. There are a bunch of bees in there. There's wings, there's this, there's that. There's who knows how many parts, and they're all schwatzen. But bees are kosher. But honey is kosher. I mean, bees are not kosher, but honey is kosher. So why do we use that? And the answer is beautiful. The answer is, so what does a bee do its whole life? Busy as a bee. What does a bee do its whole life? It gathers nectar from tree to tree, from bush to bush, from flower to flower. And as we know, it pollinates all the different flowers. It helps, Hashem doesn't need help, but it helps Hashem pollinate the world and bring beauty to the world. How could HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how could God make something that works so hard for Him that the product of it should be non-kosher? Something that its whole life is busy as a bee pollinating the world for Hashem Hashem's going to say, and what comes out of you is not kosher? That makes no sense. So listen carefully. This is very deep. So we specifically use honey from a bee. Because the bee is still a sheret. It's still a bug. It's still an insect. So we say to Hashem, I'm also an insect. I'm also a bug. I'm a sheret. I do have various. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Who am I? But Kushbaruch Hu. what do I do in my life? Chesed. Matanas, one to the other. I go around and I pollinate your world. I help this girl and I help my mother and I help my grandmother and I go to this hospital and I do this and I do this and I do this. So I'm like the bee. I'm a bug. I'm a bug. I'm nothing. I'm a sheret. But a kushbarachu. My product has to be kosher. And that's why it says, I went to my Rebbe, Rev Gamliel, and I said, you know, I have no time for my kids. Or Nava, Teres Nava, this, that, and the other thing. So I, my wife said, well, you know, it's not fair. He's never home. Who's going to bring up my kids? Who's there for my kids? He said, don't worry. He said, I need He said, you take care of Hashem's kids, Hashem takes care of your kids. So even if you're a bug, and you're, you're no tzaddik, and you do the worst things in the world, but if what you do is you go around and you help the world, then HaKash Baruch will make sure that the only thing that's going to come from you is honey. Sweet kids and good kids and good grandchildren and good great grandchildren. Because how could Hashem allow from you should come something that's no good if all you do is you're busy with Him? So on, on Rosh Hashanah, when we're, we feel like, 
we're not so good. We say, Hashem, I'm like the bee. I'm just like the bee. So I'm not so good. I did Averis, but, but I'm helping the world be Makayim. I'm doing tzedakah. I'm doing mitzvahs. I'm telling, I'm smiling. I'm making people happy. So I'm like a bee. So just like honey comes from a bee, give me a sweet ear. You're right, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But give it to me because I'm also busy like a bee. I'm also running around doing things for you, Hashem. That's why we use love. That means it's true. I mean, it's really true. That's why we use the honey of a bee. Specifically the honey of a bee. So another thing that we need to think about in Rosh Hashanah, and, and then I'll let you go. Next week, Wednesday night, it's the night. This is Rosh Hashanah. By the way, afterwards, after class, there's Rav Hashem. I don't know if I have enough for everybody, um, because I was supposed to deliver and they didn't. I think I have about 250 small jars of honey from Rabbi Gamliel. So we'll try to make sure that everyone gets one. If you don't, then we'll have more Mitzvah Hashem between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. So you can still eat it every Yom Kippur. And it's also a minute to use the honey for sukkahs in the, in the sukkah also. So we're going to get him to show another 250. So there's another subject that I need you to think about. Next week at this time is Judgment Day. And the subject is like this. And I spoke about this before. And it's tied into what I just said. What, what is Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is the creation of the world. We are judged. Now Rosh Hashanah is very, very scary. We are judged as follows. Now, Next Wednesday night is the beginning of a new world. Not the old world fixed up. It's a new year. It's not a continuation of Tavshin Samach Zion. In other words, 2008 is not a continuation of 2007. There's a moment, right, 12 o'clock when they drop that ball, whatever it is, when it's by the Goyim, there's that one second where it takes you from last year into the next year. But the next year... It's not a continuation of the last year. It's a new year. It's 2008. This, the, in our calendar, it's even much holier that way. That Tavshin Samach Zayin ends at a certain moment and Tavshin Samach Ches begins. Tavshin Samach Ches is not a continuation of Tavshin Samach Zayin. It's a new world. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created this world. He creates it every second. Very different than the Goyim. The Goyim believe you need a Yashka and you need a Muhammad and you, you need that, that fat little doll, whatever his name is. Um... <laughs> Whatever religion that is, Buddha, you need a little Buddha, a little Shmuda, you got this one and that one, they bow down to everything, because there has to be an in-between, because God's busy. Hey, God's busy. God created this world, and then he created another world, and he had nothing else to do, so he created another world. And God's busy creating worlds all over the place. So, so he left his son, so that's Christianity, and he left his prophet, that's, that's Muslim, and he left a little fat doll, that's Buddha. And, 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 and voodoo is he left a big doll and a small doll, and there's all kinds of religions with all kinds of dolls. Okay. We don't believe that. We believe Hashem created this world. This is the only world. This is where He's busy every second. And we say, every second, every second. If He, if he, if he stops watching us for one second, there is no world. We're done. It's finished. Every second. So, this Rosh Hashanah, this, a week from now, when Hashem, it's a new year, it's a new world, HaKash Baruch takes an account. He takes an account in his new world. And if anyone here lives in a house, you know, I lived a long time in my house in Muncie, when something broke, right? So my, my desk in my, my room broke, so we put a, a, what's it called, a telephone book under the leg. 
And then when it broke a little more, we put another telephone book. And then when the other side broke, we put my, a, a bunch of newspapers. Right? And when things break in your house, when you live in your house, the knob falls off. So we don't need the knob. The mirror falls off. So you, you take a piece of it and you slam it against the wall. Old furniture stays in an old house. But when you go out and you buy the new house, no, no, ma. I'm not, you're not taking my desk with the, with the phone books underneath to the new house, to my new room. You gotta buy me new furniture. So you see, when somebody moves out of their house and moving to a new house, the sidewalk's full of all the old furniture, the old washing machine, what, the washing machine, everything broke that day when they were moving. Washing machine's out there, the dryer's out there, the furniture's out there, the chairs are out there, the lazy boy. Everything just broke on the last day? You go up to the person, what happened? No, we're moving, we're not taking any of the old garbage with us. That stuff's garbage. What do you mean it's garbage? Yesterday you lived with it. You had no problem with it last week. Yeah, but, but, doesn't fit into my new house, my marble and my clean walls. You can't put a, a broken desk with it. No, and, and, and the chandelier that's old and broke. I gotta buy a new one. And that's that's a fact. So it's very scary. So a whole year grows, you can get away with all kinds of stuff. Your old furniture, you're broken, you did a virus, you can get away with it. Comes Rosh Hashanah, Hashem says, New world. New world, new furniture. And that's why it says in the Mishnah. And on Rosh Hashanah, everybody's judged Kivnei Maron Singular, one at a time Because it's a new world So when you come up in front of my Baruch The Malachim say, no, does she fit In the new world? Yeah, the old world, she was broken and so, you, so you slap this on, you slap that on You made it work, God But the new world You can't let her into the new world She can't live out this year She's broken, and Hashem You just created a new world That old furniture doesn't fit Therefore, Chazal tells us that everyone has to do tshuva before Rosh Hashanah. Because if you do tshuva, says the Zayar, you're not old furniture that's repainted. You don't even do that when you buy a new house. You're not old furniture that's repainted. You're a barrier chadasha. Says the Zayar, when a person does tshuva, you're brand new furniture. You're brand new. So when a person stands for Rosh Hashanah, in front of a Kodesh they have to stand brand new Beautiful, up to date, look at me, I'm a piece of furniture. Or I'm a crystal chandelier. But I am some part of your world, Hashem. I want to be in your world, I want to live, I want to have a Shana Tova, I want a Ksiva Ksima Tova. How do I get that? I got to be brand new. I can't be all broken with a bunch of telephone books underneath because they're going to say, no, 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 that was good for Tavshin Samach Zayin, the old house, but now we're in a new house. So a person has to think when he stands Rosh Hashanah, I did tshuva, I cleaned myself up, I'm a Beria Chagasha, I am something totally new. It's a very scary day, girls. It's a very beautiful day, but it's a very scary day. They judge us, do you belong in the new world? I will tell you something even scarier that Rav Shimshim Pinkus says. It says that every person is considered a whole world. That's what it says. You save a person, you save a world. So they ask your neshama, it's a scary question. They ask the neshama of every person, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the whole world, trees and mountains and rivers and everything, for one person, would that be you? Whew. Anyone in this room think it would be you? If God created the world, you are Chava. Because you have to understand, 
that every yontif we have, Pesach, Sukkot, Yom Kippur, whatever yontif we have, the power of that day is from day one. The first Pesach, it's like the first Pesach. So therefore, on Rosh Hashanah, Shalom Aleichem. The boy is Adam. First day, Adam. The sixth day, Adam. The girl is Chava. Are you Chava? Are you on that level before the Nachash? Are you on the level of Chava? Ki Eim Kochai, the mother of all life. Is that where you're standing? Hashem, if you've just created the world, would I be chosen as Chava? So everyone's going to say, no, of course not. That's wrong. That's wrong. I'm going to tell you something very beautiful that you should take into Rosh Hashanah. It's very scary what I just said. So you're like, forget it, I'm not going to make it. I'm old, broken furniture. I'm not Chava. Rabbi Wallerstein, you just blew it out for me. I'm not going to make it next year. This is a depressing shear. Sounds very depressing. Right? Everyone's, I'm broken furniture, I'm never going to make it. Ah, Chava, I'm definitely not Chava. I'm not on that level. I'm going to tell you something very, very beautiful. Avina Malkeno. I wanted to say this for my Avina Malkeno speech, but I can never save something. Avina Malkeno, we say to Hashem, you're my father. You're my father. So now let's look at this whole situation a little different. There was a, a Gemara where a Roman came into the, into the base Hamigdash and he wanted to see what the Jews were doing in the base Hamigdash. And he saw a room and he asked the Kohen Gadol, what is that room? And the Kohen Gadol said, it's the room for the wood. The wood that we put on the, on, the, on the Mizbeach. He said, I knew you were liars. You Jews tell a story that a fire comes out of heaven and goes on to the Mizbeach and it burns all the time. You use wood. You use wood like anybody else. You're no different than anyone else. There's no miracle here. And they said, no, no, the fire does come from Shemayim. It does come from Shemayim. It's not our fire. But Hashem wants us to be partners with Him. So he doesn't want to do all the work. He wants us to, to show that we're partners with him. So therefore we have to bring the wood. So the Romans, the Gemara says, the Romans sent back a letter to the, the head man in Rome and he said, do you hear what the Jews say? The Jews say that God needs a partner. Blasphemy. We should kill them all. That's what he wrote back. So he gave a marshal. And the marshal is unbelievable. The marshal is, if you have a locomotive, and it's pulling 20,000 tons of coal. And there's a bunch of flies flying along. And one fly says to the other flies, I'm going to go help the locomotive pull those, those thousands of tons of coal. And the other fly, are you crazy? You can't help a, a locomotive. He says, no, you won't, you won't, you won't. And he jumps onto the locomotive and he's sitting on the back of the locomotive and he's moving his wings and he's moving his wings and he's trying to bzzz, right? And he's screaming to his friends, you see, the locomotive's moving because of me. And they're like, you're crazy. You're not even, you have nothing to do with that locomotive. If that engine stops, that locomotive is not moving. You are doing nothing. You are a wasted little fly. Go stick yourself on some fly paper somewhere and get lost. You can't do anything. And this is what the Romans said. The Jews, Hashem leads you as a partner. Listen carefully. That's true. He's right. A flight, a locomotive, not going to help. But, listen carefully, when you know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is your father, and we come on Rosh Hashanah, and we say Avinu Malkeinu, even though we say Avinu Malkeinu, this Yom Kippur, we only say Avinu Malkeinu once, by Ne'ilah, but we have to say it, because Yom Kippur comes out on Shabbos. And we say Avinu Malkeinu, what are we saying? Listen, this is beautiful. So it's a story, I'll give you a different marshal. Forget the fly and the locomotive. Little kid comes home, his father's building the sukkah. Right? Comes home, Tati, Tati, why? 
I made something for the sukkah. Really? What did you make? And a little first grader has you know, one of those chains that lasts for two days, you know, because of the rain. Right? He has this little chain that he made, crepe paper, I remember, crepe paper, different colors. He made a little chain. And his father says, Wow, that's beautiful. Chayamo, give that to me. Meanwhile, the father went out to, to Eichler's and he bought, you know, all those, you know, new decorations with the light flashing and, 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 and made out of aluminum and all the beautiful stuff. The whole sook is absolutely gorgeous, this flashing lights. You think you're in the middle of who knows where. Right? And the father gets on the ladder and he hangs up this little crepe paper chain that his kid, that his kid made. And the kid comes running to the kitchen. Mommy, mommy, you're not going to believe it. What? I made the whole sucker beautiful. What'd you do? I made that little chain. And the mother and father look at the chain and say, wow, that is magnificent. You know, it was missing something. If it wasn't for you, the sucker would be ugly. And the kid walks around and says, see, see what I did? See? <laughs> And then he runs and he says, Tati, wait, Tati, wait. And he runs across the woods and there's a twig on the floor. He's a little kid. He takes the twig. He says, Tati, could you put me up? I want to put the twig on the schach. Sure, he picks up the kid. He puts a little twig on the schach. And the father and mother go, oh, now it's kosher. It wasn't kosher till now, but the twig made it kosher. And he said, see, I covered the whole sukkah, right, Tati? I covered the whole sukkah. And the parents are walking around and they're telling their friends, you know what Chaim will do? He designed the sukkah. He put the schach on the sukkah. It's unbelievable. And the kids are ah, wow. Tati, mommy, look what I did. And that's what we do. We do it on Pesach when our kids in kindergarten make things for the Pesach table. You've got silver. Leonovi's cup. This kid comes home with, you know, not to make fun, you know. This little white foam thing, you know. That's a Leonovi's cup. Look what I made, a Leonovi's cup. And you're like, wow. And we're going to put it right in the middle of the table. And, and we're going to use it. And the kid sitting there, his eyes are like this big. Wow, the whole Seder is me. I made the Seder. And they sit with their little Haggadah, which you, you know, they drew themselves. And the Yamsuf looks like a fishbowl. And Moshe Rabbeinu looks like who knows what came down. They you know the Wizard of Oz. And, and, and the kid's sitting there and he's like, and you say, wow, your Haggadah is much nicer than anyone else's Haggadah. I know, I know, Tati. It's true, it's true. Listen carefully, the Dugma Maggit says. 100% Hashem doesn't need our help. But our Hashanah, with our Father, so He looks down on us and He doesn't judge us that way. Oh, she's not Chava. Oh, she's not perfect. She's not new furniture. If Hashem is your Father and you are His furniture, you don't have to be new. You can be an antique. People don't throw antiques out because they have meaning. What is worth more? A piece of furniture or sentimental value? How many people have fought when it comes to Yerusha, when it comes to inheritance? I want my mother, I want my grandmother's, my grandmother's candlesticks. I'll tell you a story. We didn't fight for Hashem. My grandmother, Oliver Shalom, ran away from Germany and ended up in the Philippines. The Americans would not let her in to America. She ended up in the Philippines, never what my mother went through with her, my grandfather, my grandmother, and their two kids, my mother being one of them. They came to the Philippines when the Americans were there. The Japanese came, wiped out the Americans, did terrible atrocities. And then the Americans came and wiped out the Japanese. So here were these people running away from the Germans, ended up getting bombed by the, by the, by the Americans, and getting bombed by the Japanese, and getting bombed by the Americans, running around their whole life. 
running, mamish, running, running, running. You hear about monsoons, running, running. My mother, I mean, crazy stories. Crazy stories. My grandmother, Olav Shalom, from Germany, she had candlesticks that she brought from Germany. But what happened? In their running away from the Japs, from the Japanese, she had to run out of her house. They were bombing her house. So here it was, Friday afternoon, Arab Shabbos, and my grandmother, she was about this tall. So my grandmother didn't have candles for Shabbos. And they were running from one bombed ha- outhouse to another bombed outhouse. And all she was looking for, imagine, she's running away from bombs, she's looking for candles. It's going to be Shabbos. And she came to a house, which was a very wealthy house in the Philippines, but it was totally bombed out, and she ran in, and sitting on the kitchen table were two brass, cheap metal candlesticks with candles. And she lit those two candlesticks for Shabbos. And when she ran, when they left the Philippines, she never let go of those two candlesticks. Now those two candlesticks are in my family. You think we want my grandmother's silver candlesticks? Or to buy huge candlesticks? As the kid, we're like, who is getting Omas, my grandmother's candlesticks that she was moist and nefesh in the Philippines. Those candlesticks have a story. Those candlesticks have a life. They have meaning, they have sentimental meaning. I don't have to tell you that. The most the stupid grandmother pin that she wore, that the diamonds are dull, they don't look like anything. You'll kill for it. It's Bobby's brooch, it's Bobby's ring. It has sentimental value. Listen to me, girls. Every person in this room has sentimental value to God. Every one of you has sentimental value to God. You are like those candlesticks. So you're not Chava. So you're not a new piece of furniture. But Takarish Baruch Hu, a whole year, she's been close to me, she's damaged to me, she's with me. That's a sentimental value. She doesn't, I, I'd rather have that than a brand new piece of furniture. So when a person stands in front of a Baruch Hu and you treat him like a Vidal Malkano, like he's your father, then there's sentimental value. If he's not your father, then he's just building a new world and you're a piece of furniture. You better be brand new. You better be clean. But you don't need to be clean and brand new. You need to be sentimental. To be sentimental, you have to say, you have to sit in, you have to become, you have a week. You have to become a close to Akash Baruch Hu. There's a famous story about a collector. He came to a house and he was collecting money and he knocked on the door and the man opened the door and he said, I'm not giving you anything. And the poor man said, please, please, I need food. Give me something. He said, no, I have a rule. I don't give strangers that I don't know tzedakah. So the man turned around and he left. And he walked around the block. And he came back. And he knocked on the door. And the man opened the door and he said, didn't I tell you that I don't give strangers tzedakah? He said, I'm not a stranger. I met you 15 minutes ago. <laughs> it's a famous story. I'm not a stranger anymore. The Dogmar Magid says this. So when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, don't be a stranger. So you have a week now. Hello? It's Chana Miriam. Hashem, please forgive me. I'm here. When you show up next week, Wednesday... Hello, it's Chana Miriam. The Malachim are going to say, and who are you? You weren't here a whole year. You're a stranger. We don't take strangers. What do you mean? Four days ago I was here. Three days ago I was here. Two days ago I was here. I've been here for the last week, every single day. I'm not a stranger. I'm a nudge. <laughs> I'm knocking on that door every single day. That is why we say slichos. Ashkenazim say slichos this month of Shabbat. And Svadim say slichos already from the beginning of Rosh Chodesh. Slichos is knocking on the door. Hello? Slichos, so when you show up on Rosh Hashanah, you say Slichos in the Shemana Esrei. What's this, Slichos? Who are you? What do you mean? I'm saying it a whole month. I'm Svardi. Well, I'm saying it four or five days. I'm Ashkenazi. I'm not a stranger. 
the most important thing is that Rosh Hashanah, you're not a stranger. And Akash Baruch Hu says to the Jewish people, they are my partners in creation. I need a partner. It's not the fly on the locomotive. It's not what they are. They're the little kindalach that takes a pomegranate and takes an apple and says, let's have a sweet year. And Hashem says, that's beautiful. You, you don't understand. I see a lot of you didn't get it. You don't understand. It's not about jumping up and down and crying and screaming on Rosh Hashanah. That's what he was saying over here. That's not what it's about. That's Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah, it's about you and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the closest between you and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, between turning physical things into spiritual things. That's what Rosh Hashanah is all about. That's what Nechemi was saying over here. It's, been, it's, it's davening for Christ, right? Yom Kippur, you daven for yourself. You say, Al-Khayt, Al-Khayt, Al-Khayt. You don't say Al-Khayt on Rosh Hashanah. You're dominating for the cloud. You're dominating for the world. Because how can you be a partner in the world if you're only interested in yourself? You're dominating all Rosh Hashanah. Shidduch, Panasa, job, health. So what are you, a partner? You're not a partner. What are you a partner in? You're not a partner in the world. You're a partner in yourself. You're not a partner. You're in trouble. Then you're in trouble. Then you're a fly on a locomotive. You're not a partner. But a person who sits at Rosh Hashanah and says, Hashem, there's so many people that, that need Shalom bias. I'm dominating for them. So many people need children. I'm dominating for them. So many people need Rufur Shalema. I got lists. I'm dominating for them. Oh, you're a partner in the world. You're my partner. You're my partner. Then everything's going to be good in me, Hashem. A partner with HaKadosh Baruch How can things be bad? What's a better partner in the world than a partner with HaKadosh Baruch It's up to you if you're a partner Therefore, Rosh Hashanah is a time to dominate for everyone else. So, so girls ask me, what about me? What about what I'm going through? What about what I need? If you're a partner, you, don't, you, you have no problem. The other partner knows what you need. A good husband and wife, a good marriage, you don't have to say what hurts. She already knows what hurts. That's a good marriage. If you have to already say it, then it's already, we talked about this once, then it's already a favor. If you have to get up in the morning and say, Chaim, can you get me a coffee? So now you're asking for a favor to get you a coffee. That's not a good relationship. A good relationship is you wake up in the morning, you open your eyes, and the coffee's there. <laughs> That's a good relationship. He knows every morning you want a coffee. Why do you have to ask him? It becomes a favor. It's not a favor anymore. It's a partnership. So by, a girl asked me this last year, but, but, I'm, but I'm 29, I don't have a shidduch. I, 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 I'm going to down for everyone else, but, but can I sneak it in? Can I like, sneak it in in between, like, help all the other girls with shidduch? Me too. <laughs> can, I, can I do that? Like, is Hashem going to be angry? I'm like, it's automatically me too. If you are a partner with a Kishbochu in his world, so Kishbochu knows what you need. He's a good partner. He's a very good partner. He knows what you need. You don't have to ask him. Yom Kippur, you got to ask. Yom Kippur, you got to say, Al-Khayt. Yom Kippur, you're a Malach. It's a whole different story. You're not a partner. Girls, you're not a partner on Yom Kippur. Malachim, we're not partners with Hashem in the world. We are. Malachim can't take an apple and make it spiritual. We can we are true partners. We are keeping this world going. Yom Kippur, you're not a partner. Yom Kippur, you're a malach. You're not a partner. So you could ask for yourself. It's not about asking for everyone else on Yom Kippur. You have to ask for yourself. Rosh Hashanah, you have to ask for everybody else. Even shofar. Even shofar. Listening to shofar. Shofar is a sound. You're taking a sound and you're making it kaddish. You're making it holy. It's the ultimate. What does the shofar remind us of, girls? What does it remind us of? The ultimate sacrifice. The shofar... Reminds us and reminds Hashem of Akedas Yitzchak. What's the ultimate sacrifice? What does that mean? What is a sacrifice? What is a carbon? A carbon is when you take something physical, an animal, a cow, a lamb, and you make it 
100% totally spiritual by putting it on a Mizbeach and bringing it as a sacrifice to Hashem. So we blow the shofar to remind Hashem, hey, we're here. We are taking the physical and making it spiritual, just like Avram Avinu took the physical, Yitzchak, and wanted to make it spiritual. And that's why we blow shofar. And that's what shofar is supposed to remind you. When you hear the shofar blow, you're supposed to think of Akitas Yitzchak that I'm going to take all the physical parts of myself and all the physical things that I come in contact in the world, and I'm going to use it for you, emotions, whatever I have, I'm going to use it for you. And that is Rosh Hashanah. And that is why Nehemiah and Ezra said to Klai Yisrael, don't sit and cry. Go. Be happy. Eat. Make brachos. So now you're going to ask me, but then why do we daven so much in Rosh Hashanah? Because the bottom line is that tefillah, words, is also a physical thing that we're making spiritual. So the first half of the day, when there's din in the world, we daven and we take the physical ability of thinking, reading, speaking, and we take all those physical traits and we give it in tefillah. And after that we go home and we take eating and drinking and we turn that into spiritual. And that is what Rosh Hashanah is all about. The Kishbaruch should look at everyone in this room and the whole Klai Yisrael should look at us as partners. Partners in creation, partners in Bria, and even if we're not a new piece of furniture, even if we're not a Chava, but a Kishbaruch we're your children. And your children, even if we do a little thing, Tati's very proud. So let's all go back in the next week and let's do tshuva and let's make Tati very proud. Let's make our Baruch very proud so that Tav Shin Samaches should be the year of Mashiach, the year where we all go back there to Israel. Baruch Hu should take the Beit HaMikdash and build it. Bimheira, Yemenu, Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.